well, it's kind of hard to follow up on all that, right? You know, like, mercy, Lord. Yeah, that was some great worship, wasn't it? Yeah, thank you, Lord. Well, let me just go ahead and get started here, and uh, so I won't mess up. I mean, not mess up real bad. Um, You know, uh, I had a great opportunity. I had an interesting conversation last night with two professors at UNC. They're UNCC professors. And one of them said, right up, was real clear about it. They they were, she was an atheist, okay? And uh, the other one wasn't saying, uh, she wasn't stating her position. But uh, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, they wanted to know, how do you come up with messages? Okay, that was what they were interested in knowing. So I thought that was really great. And how much time do you spend working on messages? And um, so I started sort of trying to explain to them how I come up with messages. And, and basically what I told them was this, is it's just a thought that comes to me most of the time. I just get this thought and I write it down somewhere, either on my iPad or my iPhone, you know, most of the time. Sometimes on my MacBook. Yeah, depending on where, which device I'm, <laughs> and uh, and then I, yeah, then I really just start praying about the thought. And the other woman said, "And the thought is not your thought, right? That thought comes from somewhere else. Is that right?" I said, "That's exactly right. It's not a thought that I would normally generate." And and then I told them the bad news about how much time I spend on it. It's like. There's just not a rhyme, there's no rhyme or reason to that now. Um, but I'm telling you this because what I want to share today is something just so far out of my league <laughs> preaching that, but it was a thought that came to me. And the more I thought about it, the more the thought really impacted my life. In fact, I had three thoughts. The Lord gave me one day three thoughts. And this is the thoughts. It's one God is wanting to speak to people, okay? And so I did a message three weeks ago on how to hear the Lord. I don't know if you remember that, but that's why I gave that message, because I heard that he said he wanted to speak to people. And then that's, this, this all happened at once. He gave me these three thoughts. The other thought he gave me was that God is a covenant-keeping God which just uh, was a, another one of these amazing thoughts. Like, Rah! that was way over my head last week too, by the way. Uh, and the third thought was this, that God is a God of incarnation. Okay? And so that's what I wanted to talk to you this morning about is incarnation. And I don't know about you. I think we all think we understand that. We, you probably, like I say, I'm over my head. But I'm going to tell you this. Incarnation is everything for Christians. In fact, incarnate, it's everything for what we do, who we are. It's one of the most vital, vital and powerful truths there, there is. In fact, what I believe the Scripture teach, teaches about incarnation is we can look at incarnation and determine, like as our... our um, reference point in life with how you're living your life what you believe in how you live out your Christian life the the incarnation of Christ is the reference for all that does that make sense 
And it, if, if Christ's incarnation is not a reality to Christians, then we have no reality. We do not have a reality without that because that is everything to God. That was the whole thing, and it demonstrates God's love more than anything else that God ever did. Okay? Well, that was really great, isn't it? Uh, let me read these scriptures. I'm just going to do the, you know, the Arthur Burt. He says, you be the judge and jury thing, right? He, that's how he would always say. All right, the first one is John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that's who Jesus was before he became Jesus to us. Jesus, in eternity past, his name was the Word. Okay, and this is what's amazing about that word, word. The Greek meaning of that word, word, is logos. It's not rhema. In the Bible, there's two words that they, in the New Testament, there's two words they use for word. One is logos, which is an expression of thought. That's what we call the Bible. We call the Bible the logos. Okay, the other one is rhema. Okay, and it is the spoken word. It's the word made alive. It's the word made real to people. Y'all know the difference, right? In other words, you can read the Bible and read the Logos, and it's awesome. But when God takes the Bible, a verse from the Bible, and speaks it to you, it becomes a rhema word, a living word in your life. And it's, all, it's even more awesome, right? Uh, sometimes God can give you a rhema word, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a scripture. I can't tell you that but it will always be founded in the Scripture. So that's who Jesus was in the beginning with God. He was the Word. And the Word, okay, let's read John 1.14. Oh, I wanted to tell you, this is interesting. Uh, Logos appears in the New Testament 330 times. And Rhema appears in the New Testament 68 times. This is probably the most powerful, this in John 1.14. Let's read John 1.14. Uh, let me just say this. This is really important. Logos means the expression of thought. That's what it means, expression of thought. Jesus is the total expression of God the Father's thought. That's who He is. He's the, that's, that's what He always was. He was the total expression of God. He was to, that's why He says, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. I'm the total expression of Him. Everything that He ever thought, you'll find in Me. Every thought that God ever had... Christ is that thought lived out. Isn't that powerful? Anyways, John 1.14, we all know this, and the Logos became flesh. That's incarnation. If, if you were wondering what incarnation means, probably some people in here don't know what that means. But now you do. It means, it means taking on flesh, putting on flesh. And so the, the Word of God, the Logos, became flesh and lived among us, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. We saw His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that such a powerful word? And you will know, uh, I love the word begotten. I think I've talked about the word begotten before. I just wanted to say this. Begotten is a special word in the Bible. It means one of a kind. In other words, the Lord Himself was one of a kind. Christ is a one of a kind. There's no duplication of him in terms of he was the he was unique in all men of all men of all deities of all everything he was a a unique deity he was a unique person 
he was a one of a kind. He was the most rare person there really was. And that deter- that says in God's language, that says everything because he was saying, I'm giving you the most rare thing I have. The greatest treasure that God had was this unique son, this unique person. Isn't that powerful? That just shows how much he loved us and cared about us and values us, human beings, is he gave this unique person to us. So, so the Word was a spirit at one time. Christ was a spirit at one time. He, like God is the Father is a spirit, and like the Holy Spirit is a spirit. And he became a man. Okay? It's important. God the Father did not become a man. The Holy Spirit did not become a man. They're still just spirits. They will always be just spirits. Okay, but, but the Word, He became a man. He put on flesh. He's the only one who did. Okay, y'all following this? It's powerful. If you really let the Lord speak to you. Okay, so, um, it says He became, you know, became human. Uh, I love this, this one guy said, this man from history. He was not always human until he became a first century Jew. And I just thought, wow, that's a great way. He was not always human but until he became a first. This person became a first century Jew. In other words, this guy was trying to get to us. He became a person. He became a Jewish person in the first century. The Word did. He, he became this person who walked on this earth as a human being, just like you and I. And this is the amazing thing about it. He just didn't become a human in terms of I'm just going to be he kept he kept himself he, he he didn't do away with being God okay this is really important he didn't quit being God when he became a human he became a full human being and he stayed the full God he always was now Christians got to know that and that has a lot of bearing on our lives. Because it, what it says is there is no issue with God in taking Himself and putting Himself in any human being where any human being can walk around fully as a person, as a human, but also for me to live as Christ, to live and express Him, to express God. And that's really the truth. I know some people probably might have a hard time about that. So, flesh isn't just a reference to the human body, but the entirety of what makes up humanity. Our body, our mind, our emotions, and our will. Jesus took on every one of those. I'm going to show you that in just a second. This is great. He took on a human mind. You're talking about being double-minded. He was the ultimate double-minded guy because Jesus had a mind of a man and he also had the mind of God at the same time. Let me read through these real quick. These are just like outward things. Jesus was born, Luke 2, 7. He grew, Luke 2, 40, 52. He got tired, John 4, 6. You ever think about Jesus getting tired? God getting tired? In Jesus' body. He got thirsty, John 19, 28. He got hungry, Matthew 4, 2. He became physically weak, Matthew 4, 11. He died. He died. 
Luke 23, 46. This is really cool when he had a real human body when he was resurrected from the dead. That's really important. He didn't quit being a human being after he was raised from the dead. All right, so let me read, do these right quick, okay? Um, I want to read some scriptures. I'm going to go really fast, okay? And God bless Becca back there having to do all these verses. I'm going to give you a couple of verses that demonstrate Jesus' human emotions, okay? Matthew 18, 8, 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus marveled. And he had an emotional response, a human emotional response to seeing this man's faith. Matthew 6, 38. Uh, then he said to them, or 26, 38. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. He, that's the human feeling of sorrow. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Isn't that powerful? Stay here and watch with me. John Calvin, who was many of you know to be a famous church father, summed it up. Christ has put on our feelings along with our flesh. Isn't that powerful? In other words, he took on the feelings and emotions of human, human feelings and emotions. He wasn't a mechanical guy walking around not being touched. I read one, that scripture in John 11 where it says Jesus wept and how one theologian tried to completely dial out that Jesus wasn't feeling human sorrow over what was happening around him. He felt it, just like we feel it. All right, Jesus had a human mind. Who's the double-minded people in this room? Raise your hand if you've got two minds. If you live in, you know, like the James talks about being double-minded. Where's the double-minded people in here? I want you to raise your hand if you're double-minded. Like James says. No, there's some other people in here that are double-minded. I've told you you were. Because, you know, I told some people you can't live in a duplex. Right? You're trying to live in a duplex. James says that don't work. Well, Jesus had two minds. Okay? And I'm thinking, well, James says you can't have two minds, but James was talking about two bad minds. This is great here. Uh, Luke 2, 22, 46. Uh, it was after three days. They, this is when Jesus, they lost Jesus when he was 12 years old, his parents. And they came back and they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Jesus was asking. This is not some trick play here that God, God was trying to, you know, get these people to reveal something. No, he was asking them questions in a learning mode. His human mind was learning something. Jesus. Isn't that powerful? And then it says, in, yeah, that's, it's worth cheering over. Yeah. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. That's awesome, isn't it? That's the human side. Look at this one. This is crazy. Mark 13, 32. But of that day and hour, no one knows, listen, not in the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. There was literally things that Jesus did not know, like this day and hour when the Lord was going to return. He didn't literally know. Does that, does that confuse you? Because when I read that, how, how come you didn't know that? You're God. I mean, you're not just some regular person. As a human being, in his human mind, he had limitations, just like you and I have. But as God, he knew everything. 
Okay? In God, there's no, this is not a contradiction with God. That in the same person, there's things that he would not know as a man, but that, that he could know as God. Do y'all get that? Now, that might see a contradiction to you, but you're gonna, if you're going to live this spirit-filled life, you're going to have to learn to live that way. You're going to be able to know things you should not be able to know naturally and that you can't know naturally. Do y'all get this? See, this is the thing about this thing called incarnation. It's showing us something. It's just not showing us something in Jesus. It's showing us something for us. I believe it is. All right. So that's how you solve that problem right there. Well, Jesus didn't know it with his human mind. Jesus had a human will. And that, this is powerful. Everybody, For I have come down from heaven, John six thirty eight, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Right there it says two wills that work in his life. Isn't that powerful? Uh, Matthew twenty six thirty nine. he went a little further and fell on his face. And prayed, saying, O oh, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus had two wills, always submitting his will to the Father's will. But he did have a will just like you and I have. And he did make the choices to always do what the Father wanted him to do. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully human. Hebrews 4.15 for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, our weak minds, our weak emotions, our weak will. He can sympathize with all that. He felt all that. He had all that. He lived his life with all that, just like you and I are living it. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the only difference between Jesus and us when he walked on this earth. As a spirit-filled believer, the only difference there is between you and him in that sense is he never sinned. Well, the other difference is he was the begotten son. We're the, we're the next ones in line. We'll never, you know, his, his him is the only one that's begotten. We've been adopted in and grafted into the branch, okay? But we have a human mind and we have the mind of Christ. We have human emotions. We have the emotions of God. We have a human will. We have the will of God. Every Christian, if you're a believer, you have those in you. If God lives in you, just like He lived in Jesus, you have access to His mind, His emotions, His will. Now, I'm telling you, this is the truth of the God. This is why the incarnation is so important to us that we had to realize that Jesus was the model. He was the first person who came to earth and lived His life on this earth like that, demonstrating how you could live your life as a man, fully man, okay? And have access to the emotions, the will, and the mind of God. I think it's also really important for us to understand that when Jesus lived on this earth and walked on this earth, He did not live on this earth and walk on this earth and take advantage of God living in Him. He lived as a human submitted to God. He lived as a human dependent on God. He didn't live as a God just with, with skin on him. And that's really, really important because he was saying, because he's asked us to do the same thing. He's asked us to live a sinful life. He's asked us to submit to his will. He's asked us to not be angry and sin. He's asked us to do all these things. Why would he ask us that 
if he didn't give us the ability to do it. Does this make sense to y'all? Okay. Now I want to try to give you a couple of things, what I call the goals of the incarnation. Okay. All right. The first goal, obviously, is restoration, healing, and wholeness. That's the first goal of God when he became a man, was to restore mankind to God, to heal people, heal their hearts and heal them physically, and to give us wholeness. There was a, a man named Gregory of somewhere, someplace in Istanbul that I can't pronounce. He was a 4th century Catholic theologian. Okay, and I'm going to quote Mr. Gregory. This, some of these guys knew the Lord, I'll tell you. You can't, don't look at somebody just because of their church affiliation and think they don't know the Lord. This guy knew the Lord. This is what he said. Jesus took, on, took a human body to save our bodies. He took a human mind to save our minds. Without becoming a man in his emotions, he could not have saved our emotions. And without taking a human will, he could not save our will. Isn't that powerful? In other words, salvation has to do with your emotions. It has to do with your mind. It has to do with your will. God has done all that to save all that, to redeem all that in us. Isn't that powerful? He said, that which he has not assumed, he has not healed. That which he has not assumed, he has not healed. And he assumed all that. And so he, that's the first thing that God wanted people to know about him coming to the earth as a man is I want to heal your mind, I want to heal your emotions, and I want to heal your will, and I want to heal your body. That's what we call sozo, right? Saved, healed, and delivered. That God wants to make you a complete whole person. And he desires to do that for every man, woman, and child on this earth. Okay, but that's just the beginning of the Christian life. That's, that's the interest rate. That's the first thing that God wants to do for us. And so people wonder, like, why do you believe in healing today? Why wouldn't we believe in healing? Why wouldn't we practice praying for people's minds? Why wouldn't we practice to see people emotionally healed, inner healing? Why wouldn't we do that if that was what the incarnation was all about? That's why he came to do that for mankind. So you see, you've got to know why you're doing this. I don't want to just do it because everybody else is doing it. I want to do it because there's a reason to do it. And the reason is, is he came and took all that upon himself. That's the beginning. The second goal is Holy Spirit anointing and power. Everybody love Holy Spirit anointing and power. Here's a very famous verse, Acts 10:38. You know, a lot of people in this room need to buy this verse. You know, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Now, right here, I want you to get this. How God anointed Jesus of where? Not Jesus Christ. Not Jesus, the Son of God. This man, Luke, who wrote this, wants everybody to know, God anointed a man. He might, it wasn't God he was anointing. He was anointing a man with the Holy Spirit and power. That's the message of Acts 10.38. We tend to forget that Jesus did every miracle that he did, not as God, but as a man. Isn't that powerful? He did it as a human being, anointed by the Holy Spirit. That should give you hope. <laughs> wow. Because that's really what he wanted to do, is give us hope. That's how this deal works. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And see, God really, that's how God really wants to use us. Just like that. He wants to anoint us as men and women 
to be able to destroy the works of the devil with the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's really the whole basis for, for ministry. It's the whole basis for doing anything that God's called us to do. It's the anointing of the Spirit on a human being. Y'all should be really excited about this. I mean, seriously. That's the only way we can do ministry. If you're doing it any other way, you might as well not be doing it, to be honest with you, because it is not, not good. Here's a famous quote from Arthur Burke that we always loved. I, I couldn't understand it the first few times I heard it. Uh, that was a long time ago. It took a long time to really get it. All Jesus ever did, Jesus never did. What? All Jesus ever did, Jesus never did. It was the Father working in him. And that's really what this anointing of the Holy Spirit's all about. It's not us doing it, it's him doing it. But God wants to anoint people with the Holy Spirit and power to be able to destroy the works of the devil and do good, do good things for people. And that implication for us is that we would walk in that same anointing. Okay, because he said in John twenty twenty one, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's what Jesus says. The Father has sent me, so I send you. That's for every Christian that will ever be, that he sends us like he was sent. And he has an expectation that we'd walk in these things like he walked in it. Now listen, it may look different for everybody. In fact, it should look different. Have you ever noticed when you read the four, this is the thing that really kind of got me years ago, is I was reading this book called The Ministry of the Word. I was trying to learn how to be a preacher, okay? And it was just really hard to do. I'll be honest with you. It was hard for me because it wasn't natural because I'm not a natural speak in front of people kind of guy. In fact, I was talking to those two women last night and they were, we were talking about the difference between teaching in a university and preaching in a church. And I said, well, here's the bottom line. When you preach in a church, you're not trying to speak to a person's intellect. You're trying to speak to their heart. Where in a university, you're trying to speak to their intellect. In church, we're trying to speak to their heart so their intellect can get renewed. Okay. They thought it was right. They said, that's exactly right. And they said, in fact, if you saw the students that we're having to deal with now, we need something like that for them. Even the atheists. They need this. So that was a pretty good conversation. You know, one thing that I know the Lord wants to do, this is a side subject, God is very interested in the lost people right now. He has always been, but there's an urgency on the part of the Lord. You know, I had a dream about my neighbor this past week. And uh, it was not, I wasn't really happy with the dream, okay? And I was telling Becky about it, and a couple hours later, guess who shows up at our door? Our neighbor inviting us to come to a Christmas party at their house, which is like, ugh, you know. <laughs> and get Becky to bring the guitar, because we're going to sing some Christmas songs. Like, ugh, double trouble. i got to go sit in somebody's house and sing Christmas songs, you know. And none are Christians. They're atheists and everything else. But Becky had read this scripture earlier to me today how, how Jesus hung around from notorious sinners. Oh, man. So I went. And I walked in the door. And I looked at all these people sitting there. And I realized God loves every one of these people. He cares about them. He wants to embrace these people. He wants these people to know about Him. And all you got to go is just go here and be friendly to them and sing songs with them. But it was great. We got to do Christmas songs, and uh, the guy is a, like an expert guitar player. I've never seen anybody play a guitar like this guy. In fact, so, it was so good, Becky, like, I don't want to play. <laughs> no, I don't want to. But we had a great time, and I believe God is going to open doors for people 
You know, another interesting thing, the week before I read an article, it was about pastors, and the name of the article, Are You Too Busy to Do Real Ministry? And it was about your neighbors, about the people right around you. Are you so tied up with what you're doing, serving God, that you don't have time to reach those people around you that are crying out for help? And it really thought, well, Lord, you know, and then all this happened, like, I'm stuck, you know. <laughs> I mean, what am I going to do, not go? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad I did because I believe the Lord wants to save people. And you know what He's interested in us doing? He's not interested in us going and giving our theology or any of that. All He wants is people to look at these people and know that the Father loves them and that He values them. Even in their, I'm an atheist state, He values them. And somehow He wants to reach their hearts. That's all He wants is us to have that kind of attitude when we're around them. And somehow he'll do it. You know, he'll do that. And we'll just, you know, we'll pray, we'll pray for him and ask God to do what only God, God shall do. But anyways, back to the, I was, gosh, Lord help. Preaching. I was trying to learn how to be a preacher. I still am. Anyways, I read this book by Watchman Nee that really helped me called The Ministry of the Word. If you want to be a preacher, read the book. Okay? It's an old book, obviously. But one thing he said in it that really has, that captured my heart was he was saying God has no problem taking his word, his holy and undefiled word and putting it into a human being and mixing it with that human being where you can't tell the difference. And when that human being speaks, it's the word of the Lord. And his example was read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, the Gospels, every one of them are different. Why are they different? Why do they seem to be contradictions? Because Matthew was an individual, and he saw life as a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector that had fallen away. That's how he saw life. Mark was a disciple of Peter, so he saw the whole thing through Peter's eyes. It's our personality and who we are mixed in with God. Yeah. Mixed in with God. And so your expression is going to be different. than the. In fact, you don't want to try to be like somebody. You want this true expression to come forth in you. And I thought, man, that's great. Because you know what? It set me free because I thought I will never be able to do this thing. Because I would listen to all these preachers that were like, these amazing preachers. Like, who could do such a thing? I can't do that. And it was like, no, you can't do that. But you can be who you are. And you can let what's in you. You find your voice. You find what's real in you. And you let that come forth. That's the real. That's the reality that God wants. And that's how God mixes himself with human beings. It's where you can't separate the God from the person. You couldn't separate God from Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, you can't do it. Because God so mixed himself with Matthew that when he preached, when he wrote his word, it really is. And so that was a free, and then I just quit worrying about how to be a good preacher. And like, let me figure out how to be the real me. And what do I have? What's in me? What has God really put in me? Let me tap into that. Okay? And let it come out the way God designed it to be. And so each one of us, in whatever area God's called you, that's, that's the key for you. Yeah, it really is the key. And that brings up the, the third thing, which I need to really be done with this, right? is the third goal of the incarnation is our true identity, okay? 
Now, this is really way out your honor. First uh, Timothy 2.5, what I was just saying had something to do with this. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. The man, everybody get that. So right now, it's important for us to know this. When Jesus died, he died as a man. When he raised from the dead, he was still a man. This is, this, so there's a man in heaven right now sitting on the throne with God the Father. Okay? He didn't quit being a man. Jesus didn't become just a spirit again. Okay? He's a man. In fact, that's why he said, Thomas, hey, stick your hand in my side. He wasn't a spirit that you would just stick your hand through him. Now, he became a man in his glorified body that could walk through walls, obviously, and can appear anywhere he wants to in any place because his body was now in a glorified state. Okay? And this is what the Scripture teaches. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches us that one day we will be in a glorified state. In other words, when you die and when you're resurrected, you're not going to be just a spirit floating around up there on a cloud riding, even though Jesus rode a cloud, right? I mean, I think that's where they get all that, cloud riding business. Okay? But he's not just a spirit. It was a man on that cloud. In other words, he was overcome all elements. But when he was on earth, he walked on on the water not as a glorified man, not but as a God-man. Okay, there was a difference. There was a difference. Okay, in Jesus, after he was resurrected from the dead, than before he was resurrected from the dead, because when he was on the earth, he didn't walk through walls until he was resurrected. He didn't appear and disappear. Some people think that, but I don't believe that's what the Scripture teaches. I don't think that's what First Corinthians fifteen teaches. Okay. Y'all all right? Y'all just sitting there staring at me with a blank look on your face like, well, what does that have to do with anything? It has something to do with everything, okay? This is something really important about identity. Everybody is looking for identity, okay? Every, everybody is. That's why people do things that they do, Some, most of the time real foolishly. Like, you know, we are all were teenagers one time in high school and acted a certain way to be included in certain groups, right? That's identity, right? Lots of times... Young people will do the wrong thing to be included. That's just the way it works. But it speaks of that desire in us to be loved and accepted and have an identity. And here's what I've discovered. is, is And I don't really understand this. We're never going to really know ourselves as, as men and women until we know Him as a man. Okay, there's something about knowing, it's what Pilate said, behold the man. There's something about us knowing this thing about him becoming a man that's really vital to us for us to really know ourselves. Okay, I don't really understand it. Okay, I really don't understand it. But I believe that God wants us to know him, not as just this spirit out there, but he wants us to know him as a man. As a human, he wants us to embrace the human side of Jesus. Okay? Let me read that first John 1, 1 through 4. Are y'all okay? It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard God speaking. Amen? Which we have seen with our eyes. Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled now, this is powerful. This is, they're saying, John is saying, this 
had an impact on our lives. This was dr- dramatic to who we are. Concerning the word of life, the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. We saw it. We touched it. We heard Him. We seen Him. We saw eternal life. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. Remember, the kids all gather together to have this. That's what he's saying. We want to bring you into something. That's what he was saying there. We want to invite you to join us in a fellowship. A fellowship of hearing. A fellowship of seeing. A fellowship of touching this person. That's an invitation in the Scripture. When you read that, you should say, God is inviting me to be able to have an experience, an encounter with Him where I hear, see, and touch Him. Wouldn't that be powerful? I think it would be. And then you begin to realize who you really are as a man. Not just as a spiritual man, but as a human being, as a man that God has not... There's this paradox that works. On the one hand, Satan has done everything to mar us and make us in our natural man, you know, bad. But on the other hand, God loves you as a person. He loves your human side. He has not rejected you as a human being. He created you. And He wants you. And the only way we're going to know that is when we begin to touch Him as a human. When we begin to touch Him as a human, we're going to realize how, how important we are as humans. Then... You won't give your body to somebody who don't deserve your body. You won't give your mind to something that doesn't deserve to have your mind. You'll stop all that because you'll realize how valuable you are. And you know what? The only warning the Bible gives us about ourselves like that is don't think too highly of yourself. In other words, don't think better of yourself than the, uh, the brother around you, the sister around you. Just stay on that plane with them. But you can't go to the other extreme where you despise yourself and you do all these things to try to make you feel good about yourself and to try to make other people feel good about you. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think I do. I think we all really do if we were told the truth. We do things that make us feel good about ourselves. Or we do things to numb it. You know, numb the pain. Because you can't bear it. Not knowing that God loves that person that you're trying to numb out. Not knowing that God values that person and wants that person to be able to come forward and truly be the real person. And see, that's why this revelation of incarnation is, is, is everything. It's like these guys, you can join us in this fellowship. You can join us. You can come into this, this, this place with us where you hear, see, and touch. That which, in verse 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you have fellowship with us, and our, truly our fellowship was, was with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the greatest invitation we'll ever get. And these things we, we write to you so that your joy may be full. That's the, 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 you know, the joy life, the life of joy, the life of happiness, the life of fulfillment. Let me read one more scripture. Are y'all okay? Yeah, we're good. Woo, I don't see, I told you I was way over my head here. This is something you, God's going to have to impart to you. It's, it's, there's an impartation. Yeah, amen. 
1 John 4, 17. This is really, everything I just told you should be blowing your mind like, ugh. I'm thinking, man, this is pretty out there. This is a stretch, Lord. It's a stretch. Just the anointing with the Holy Spirit and power and doing the miracles of Jesus, that's a stretch, right? That's a stretch. And then he throws in this whole other, whole other level of hearing, touching, and man, where does it stop? <laughs> it ain't stopping yet. Because God is not full. He said, but you don't just settle for that. Don't settle for something like all Christians do. we got to quit settling. You can't settle for what you have. You're crazy if you are just settling for what you have right now. That's why Steve said, we got something else. If Paul the Apostle said, there's something more for me, because he was probably the first person who really demonstrated this besides Jesus that we got to see into his life. He was the first God-man who walked out there that they showed us stuff about him. And he was saying, I don't have it all. I've got something else. And Christians have got to get to the place in their life where they look at their lives and say, you know what, I've been given everything in Christ, but I'm not walking in everything. There's a greater calling on my life. There's a greater anointing on my life. Who needs a Christianity that gets saved and parks there? Or maybe you get healed and parked there. Or maybe you do a few things for God 28 years ago. That's kind of a crummy deal. But this 1 John 4, 17, it just don't blow your mind. Your mind is not functional. Love has been perfected among us that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. That's good news, right? Boldness in the day. Because there is a day of judgment, right? I mean, there's a day. Good news is this. Today ain't the day of judgment so far. But there will be a day of judgment. Praise the Lord. Because the love of God has been perfected. We can be bold on that. We ain't got to be afraid. We don't have to be messed up. We can stand before the Lord because of Christ. Right? Then he says this amazing thought. Because as he is. Now this is really important. As he is. Now how is he? He is in his glorified state. Right? Not in his Jesus on the earth walking state. He's already moved out of that state. Right? As he is. That's great. Well, so what? As he is. Then he says this, so are we. So I told you it'd blow your brains out. So are we in this world. You see, God's ultimate, God's ultimate is that for us on this, in this world. That's God's ultimate plan for humans not in this world right now. While we're alive, God is saying, listen, you thought salvation. Then you, got like, then you thought healing. Then you thought wholeness. He said, uh, then you thought, well, the anointing of the Spirit. Yeah, that's all. That's great. Those are just steps. You thought just an identity of embracing Him. That's great. All those are steps. But there's this higher level. There is this higher level for the church as He is. I don't really know what that looks like, honestly. You know, I really don't because I've never seen it. But I do believe there's something in God's heart that God's looking for people who will reach for something that's outside their realm of understanding, outside their realm of revelation, outside their realm of their theology. That He's looking for people 
that will reach for that. I think it's those people who can reach for each one of those. It's the ones who can reach for salvation, reach for touching Jesus and embracing Jesus as a man. Right? And I think it's, those are the people that they will go on beyond that and begin to reach to embrace Jesus as he is right now. And saying, that's the person I want to touch. That's the person I want to see. And that's the person I want to hear. Whatever that's going to happen to me when I do that, I don't know. But you know, Enoch, the Bible says he walked with God and then suddenly he wasn't no more. I mean, it seemed like he was a guy who kind of did that, right? Kind of, I guess so. And he walked with God and was no more. And so, I don't want you to think, God, this is so high I can't reach it. You know? Because it's not. And you see, all of it is just an invitation from the Lord. You know? And I think, you know, what God wants us to, to realize is everything, that's what I said at the beginning, everything, everything that we do should be coming out of this thing called the Incarnation of Jesus becoming, of God the Word becoming a human being with all the human attributes and knowing that He loved Himself as a man. He didn't despise Himself as a man. Isn't that beautiful? And I think Jesus, when it says He grew in stature, grew in wisdom, grew in, He was becoming more and more self-aware of who He was. See, He had to grow in it. He became more and more self-aware about who he was. I don't believe he knew it automatically because even though he was God, he chose not to live as God. He chose to live as a man. He didn't mean he quit being God. He just didn't access it like he could have. He accessed God like we access God. Do you know how you access God? God inside of you, God around you. That's how Jesus did it, just like you did. But he was perfect at it. He did it beautifully. He didn't use any of his special talents. And so when we begin to access him, we can begin to grow in this thing and become self-aware in a positive, good way of who we really are. You know? And as we do that, God will work in our life and bring us to that place where we lay hold of something as He is. That's like the long-range goal that God has for Christians, I think, on this earth. You know, that's like, that's at the back of the room. I'm going to get you back there if you'll let me. Does that make sense? So let me just pray. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, presence. The Lord's a gift giver, right? Yeah, amen. Yes. So this morning here, you could a gift for you could be that first step called salvation, healing, wholeness. That could be a gift for you. Another gift for you this morning could be that second thing, a new anointing with the Holy Spirit and power. Wouldn't that be a good one? I'm I'm kind of pulling on that one. Or the third gift could be your true identity. You know, any of those could be a gift that God would like for you to have this Christmas time. Yeah, all three. There you go. Why not, right? Go with the whole enchilada. Let me just pray for you, okay? And pray that the Father, Father, thank you that you've invited us into this fellowship. A fellowship of hearing, a fellowship of seeing, 
and a fellowship of touching you. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that they would hear you. They would see you. They would touch you. Lord, we want to touch you, Lord. We're not going to be happy on this earth not touching you. We want to touch God. Lord, the people on this earth that's going to touch the world, the people who've touched you. Lord, help us to be people that touch you. Mm. Lord, I want to touch you. I want to touch you, Lord. I want to touch you. I want that with all my heart. I want to see you, Lord. I want to see you like I've never seen you before. I want to see you glorified, Lord. I want to see you in your glorified state. I want to, I want to put my hand in your side like Thomas did. Lord, I don't doubt today, but I just want to touch this person. I want to touch this person. I want to look into this person's eyes. Lord, I pray for everybody in this room that they would have that experience. Don't believe that you can't have that experience. Don't believe that lie. That's a lie from hell. That's a lying spirit that's telling you this is too far for you. God loves everybody. God cares about everybody. God says everybody is on an equal plane with Him. Each one of us can have these experiences with the Lord. And so, Father, I pray that for every person in this room. Thank you, Lord. Isn't the Lord good?